This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen. And you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we talked to Heather Bragg about starting a new business that has nothing to do with horses, but how she plans to bring it into the equestrian industry. Heather Bragg has over two decades of experience working with students, parents, educators, therapists, and caregivers. After several years of teaching in the Chicago public school system, Heather earned her master's degree in communication sciences and disorders from Northwestern University. Upon completing her graduate degree, Heather taught at the University of Chicago's Hyde Park Day School and Northwestern University's Center for Talent Development. Heather currently serves as the multisensory math specialist at Elgin Academy, where she teaches both neurotypical students and children with identified learning differences. Heather has presented at conferences at the regional and national level, including at the 2019 Learning Disabilities of America Annual Conference. Her work has been featured on CBS, WGN, and in Crane's Chicago Business. She was also a contributor to the Huffington Post, where she wrote about teaching and parenting children with learning and attention differences. In addition to her work in education, Heather is a longtime horse person. She spent several years showing hunters as a junior, playing polo as a college student, and is now an active member of the Wayne DuPage Hunt in Northern Illinois partnered with her polo pony turned field hunter, Goose. Stomach ulcers make you feel bad. All Natural Ulcer Relief makes you feel good. With no known side effects and a 100% money back guarantee, why not give it a try? UlcerRelief.com. Hi, Heather. Hi, how are you guys? Great. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, You know, we've done, this is our 30th episode now, and... We have had lots of friends and colleagues on and, you know, usually like sometimes it's friends that Jen and I knew in college and, you know, we'll be like, oh, we've known you for decades, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But I can officially say now that this guest is a person that I have known the longest in my life. (laughs) I'm the oldest. Yeah. No, you're not the the oldest friend. Yeah. Not in age, but in uh, duration of friendship. I I wasn't going to qualify it. Because I think we started riding at the same barn when I was 10. I know it was 1990. Yes, you probably were. I was thinking about this the other day because I was talking to somebody about ponies and I always think of your pony. Uh, (laughs) And I know you had just, I came to the barn this right after your last short stirrup season. So you're moving on to pony hunters from short stirrup. Yeah. So. so I was like 10, 11 years old. So yeah. uh, it's quite a, quite a haul that we've yeah. done and kept in touch the whole time. So um, we're really excited to hear more about your latest venture and kind of how, you know, it applies. You know, we have an audience of equestrian businesswomen, obviously, but horse people overall and 
I think it'll be cool to talk about both and with you. Yeah, yeah. The business has definitely changed, you know, as far as um, I would think you would, you guys know way more than me, but just um, I think when we were kids, you were either a trainer, maybe a rider, and that's, I don't know, pretty much it. I'm sure there were some other, you know, you could be a bar manager or whatever, but it wasn't the, probably the industry that it is now. Right. For sure. So. We've talked about that too, of how young people need to realize there's way more paths to a career in the equestrian industry rather than just riding and training for those who don't want that 24 seven lifestyle and, but still, you know, love the horses a lot. And, and we've talked to lots of professionals that have, you know, had to drop horses and riding out of their life for a while and gone back to it, which you can relate to as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because I, uh, I listened to your podcast and I was just listening to um, Maria's most recently and, you know, mm-hmm. her, she's, she is what my husband would call an onion. She has layers, right? She's done so many different <laughs> things and kind of cross pollinated different things. And yeah, you know, I remember um, listening to her talk about, you know, really stepping away from horses for a while to pursue acting. And it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting that um, we can live so many lives in one life, you know, and just yeah, because something yeah. is pushed to the side or to the back burner doesn't mean it will be there forever. So thank goodness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So going into that, you know, talking about you launching a new business, we'd love to kind of hear about it and, you know, what prompted you, what was the inspiration behind building your new business? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's funny, the origin story and, and kind of how it's morphed. So if I really go back to the roots, I started out as a teacher and I had students who struggled mostly with early reading. I was teaching first grade and I didn't feel like I was doing a good job helping them. And uh, I don't like sucking at things. So I went back, <laughs> uh, went to grad school, went to a, a program that was very good and, and focused kind of on, on more like clinical psychology and, and things like that and learn some great tools uh, to work with children with learning disabilities. But most of those tools are, you know, really applicable to everyone. You know, they're just things that I learned in that program that, you know, can be used in with every, everyone, you know, um, I've learned a lot of things to help myself be a better learner. And uh, so really specialize in working with kids with mild to moderate Learning disabilities, dyslexia is kind of a common one that people hear a lot about. Um, I've worked with a lot of kids with ADHD. So what we're calling in the field, we call it neuroatypical, right? So kids that are perfectly bright, perfectly capable, they're most likely going to go on to college and do great things, but they're a little different and they learn a little differently and they might need some flexibility around some things. And I, through that, um, was doing a lot of tutoring as well after school. And then it really started with a ballerina. I was working with a girl who was in high school, but taking online, she was homeschooled officially, um, but Mm -hmm. really taking all of her classes online because she was the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And she had some health challenges and was just having a hard time keeping up with everything. And so I was brought in more really to support kind of the organization and to advocate for her and to communicate with her teachers um, because she was taking classes through um, like community colleges and, you know, a class at one school and a class at a different school. So I was kind of the hub, uh, the main organizer, kept the calendar for her and um, she's very high achiever, but it was just with her health concern, it was a lot. And so I was kind of the... um, the hub of the wheel for her and the communication person and also the, her advocate 
reaching out to some of these professors and saying like, so here's the situation, you know, she, you know, is limited at this time because she's in some PT and some therapy for so many hours a day. Can we narrow this down to one key assignment and really doing a lot of work with her beyond just the academics. And then that's kind of translated into working with some kids that travel for various sports, but you know, a lot of horse show kids. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how it's just morphed over time. And I think because of COVID, we're all so much more savvy around online education. And there are plenty of kids, you know, homeschooling 10, 15, 20 years ago is something very different than it is now. Right. Uh, and, you know, most of the kids I know that are really serious about riding are doing some type of homeschool or online school. Um, but that For doesn't sure. mean they can plug right in and they're on autopilot. They often still need someone to kind of help bridge some things. And uh, so that's where I come in. Cool. And so what are some of the steps you took to thinking, oh, I could do this for kids in the equestrian industry into an actual business? You know, I mean, at the moment, it's kind of a side business. I do teach during Mm -hmm. the day. Uh, I teach at a school called Elgin Academy. We have quite a few equestrian kids here. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a private school. And we have quite a few kids that that spend most of the winter in Florida. We're a small school and teachers are very flexible uh, and have, you know, really uh, talked to kids about, we'll we'll be flexible, but, you know, if I email you, I do need you to respond within 24 hours. We'll work with you, um, but we do ask for a certain level of responsibility Mm -hmm. and response, responsiveness. Uh, And so it was kind of through Elton Academy. And, you know, some of these kids I know uh, from the barn or from the local horse world, and, uh, yeah, it's just, is kind of solidified over time. So it's not a full-time, you know, nine to five and it's probably better that way. Um, because when I am needed, it's kind of not typical hours, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, kids are kind of coming back at the end of the day or after showing during the day and trying to catch up on schoolwork. And sometimes we have some early morning sessions. Uh, so it's just kind of a, um, uh, as needed, um, but we'll see where it goes because it's definitely grown over the last year. So, yeah. And has it been different kind of balancing that kind of side gig with your main nine to five? I know there's lots of people, (laughs) you know, entrepreneurs, especially who kind of, we've talked to a bunch of people who started their own business while they were working a full-time job. So what's it been like trying to balance that? Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's, uh, it so depends. Everything has its kind of phases, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago at the start of the school year, you know, my school job was, you know, occupying like 95% of my bandwidth and other times, you know, you kind of plug into the rhythm of things with your nine to five and things kind of get in a good hum and you do have available for me, it's kind of more available brain space than actual hours in the day. Right. You know, my That's- day ends at two forty-five. I'm free afterwards. I'm flexible and on weekends. But again, it's that kind of that focus kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, um, I wish I had some wise words or a great overall system for handling it. But I think it's kind of taking it day by day and week by week. And um, I'm a big believer in looking like a day or two ahead on my on my schedule. And there are days where I'm like, okay, tomorrow's gonna be a doozy. I got to set my alarm for 5 a.m. to like get up and, and knock out a few things so that I can be on top of things. But yeah, it's, you know, plugging in, filling in. I do have some good white space in my schedule at school, some prep times I can kind of get some things done. Uh, and then, you know, just managing time on weekends. I've tried to cut down driving um, hmm. as much as I can. Um, and luckily, we live in a world now where we can do that. 
there's a lot of, you know, meetings and things that happen via Zoom. So I don't have to drive into Chicago or here, there mm-hmm. and everywhere. Uh, so that saves time too. But yeah, kind of just um, taking it day by day, I think. Yeah. I love that point of, you know, you may have time on the clock, but you may not <laughs> have, you know, time and space in your calendar, but not time and space in your brain for something. Yeah. I've, and I've felt that way person. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And my, as of like three or 4 PM, I'm kind of going downhill. So mm. if I need to do any mental heavy, heavy lifting, like that's not the time, you know, <laughs> so if I'm really needing to sit down and look at a student's um, or a client's kind of workload and what's due when and really do the logistical problem solving, I got to do that in the morning because if I do it in the afternoon, I'm not going to do nearly as good of a job. Yeah. Recognizing that in yourself is really important. There's a great book by Daniel Pink called When, and it's part of it is about like your own brain rhythms and your own timing and and how to optimize that. Cool. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like something that I would. (laughs) (laughs) Jen's going to add it to her book list. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I just wrote it down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, um, when you were, were talking about that with the brain space, but also that you kind of psych yourself up knowing what your day looks like. I think, that's, yeah. I think that's so important because I think sometimes we, we don't, right? And look, it's only going to suck for a day, right? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, or like for me, if I know that I've got like a lot of traveling coming up and I've got a lot of um, being a salesperson and I'm like, okay, I just need to get through till this date and then I can do it. Right. But if I, mm-hmm. if I don't kind of like set myself up for it, then I'm going to fail because yeah, I'm not, right. yeah. you know, I'm not prepared. Right. And then I get in, into the middle of it and I'm overwhelmed, but you know, I think that it's important to kind of set those goals that to know, okay, I got to get up early. I'm going to get this mm-hmm. done and, you know, move on. Yeah. And then the the relief day or the quiet day, if it's yeah. on the horizon, you know, kind of dangling that carrot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. And I actually want to go back to something you said right away was that you don't really like to suck at anything, which I think is kind <laughs> of like most of us and most people, but especially like equestrians, right? We really, really hate to suck at things. Yeah. Yes. But I was reading something earlier and it said, um, like do something, be brave enough to do something new that you suck at. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I feel <laughs> no, like, that's yeah, really I say thumbs down. Yeah. yeah. Where I'm like, nah, I think I'll pass. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, new I'll, hobbies. I'll, no, thanks. Golf. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. I'm uh-uh. not picking that up. I'll cruise yeah. it. What I uh, know what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Um, so you took a little bit of a break from teaching. And we were just wondering what was the reason that you came back and, and why, why you did that? Yeah. So I think um, I'm really, it's funny because I've been reflecting on that quite a bit now that I'm back full time. This is my first full year being back full time in a few years. Uh, So I stepped away from teaching in 2018 uh, for several reasons. One of which was I was teaching before that at um, Chicago public schools. And I have some more stories someday over beers. Um, I mean, I have things that are shocking and honestly, really upsetting and and sad. So that definitely burns me out. I am the parent of two boys who are uh, what we call twice exceptional. So both my stepson, who's 21, is a senior in college. Hallelujah. On a good trajectory. Uh, And then my son, Aaron, who's 11, uh, also on a good trajectory. He's a sixth grader. Uh, They both have high IQs and ADHD. 
Um, and they're wonderful kids and they're fantastic, but they're a lot there. It's, it's been a lot of maintenance, a lot of work to keep them on a good path. Um, because they just have very busy brains and they're mm -hmm. sensitive. And so I was working with kids that are challenging all day. And I was coming home to my own challenging kids, uh, mm -hmm. after school. And, you know, I think there's only so much nurturing. <laughs> I, I felt like I was using up my patience with other people's kids and I didn't have much patience with my own. So between my years in Chicago public schools and just wanting to be a good parent to my own boys, I stepped away. I still did some tutoring and some consulting. So I kind of kept one foot in the education world because uh, it is my passion, especially we're learning and doing so much more now with neuroatypical kids and the world is becoming so much more aware that it's not just that they're not smart or that they're, you know, oh, they can go t into these careers. You know, I think we're seeing all the shades of gray in abilities yeah. now. But yeah, I stepped away from it as a full-time job for many years. And it's funny because there's such a teacher shortage right now. And mm -hmm. I think COVID burned a lot of people out. But COVID was when I had stepped away. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of recharged during that time. So I kind of come back in like, all right, this is great. Let me let me back at it. And I'm really grateful for that because I feel like I have a level of energy and enthusiasm um, kind of having taken a little respite that if I had kept going, I, I wouldn't have. Right yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mother-in-law was a teacher and actually she was a teacher and then she raised her kids and then she went back to teaching my <laughs> when my sister-in-law was a senior in high school and she taught and she was of retirement age. She didn't really want to retire, but mm -hmm. COVID really did burn her out. Like the, yep. the online stuff was a struggle for her, uh, mm -hmm. learning that at her age and just, you know, having to do it. And, and it's a different teaching style than totally all the different. years that she taught. And you had so, to like scramble and put it together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And so she ended up retiring because she was like, I just can't. And I, I think she misses it. Like, I think she'd love to still be involved. And I know mm -hmm. um, they they talked about maybe she was going to go back and do some substitute teaching. But being back in the class, I don't know that everybody's comfortable with her age being back in with the kids mm -hmm. with COVID still out there. So yeah, yeah. kind of put that on hold, but I know she definitely like misses it, that interaction every day that has something to do. Yeah. When it's, when the conditions are good, it's such a fantastic job. It really is. Um, but it's hard to get those right conditions. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I really like being at the school I am too, and it's small and it's private. And so we, there's a lot more flexibility. There's a lot more autonomy. You know, the conditions are right. The conditions are what they really should be. Um, but right. unfortunately, and you know, I'm a product of public schools. I know, you know, Jen uh, Wood is as well. So I'm not knocking public schools, but it's a different um, burden to be a teacher in a public school setting. There's just a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of limitations and, oh, yeah. um, and challenges that you don't have in kind of a, a more independent setting where I am right now. So I'm very grateful to be here. I have kind of a random question just because, you know, we've talked about your experience dealing with kids with ADHD. And I've seen a lot online lately about kind of millennial age women. So maybe, you know, five to 10 years younger than us, not knowing they had or have ADHD and being diagnosed as an adult and how much mm -hmm. it has changed their, like, the, it completely gave them the light bulb of, oh my gosh, this is why sense. 
I, yeah, everything makes yeah. sense now that I know this and, and like finally getting diagnosed and, and getting medicine and, and learning how to cope with, um, you know, the challenges that that brings. And I just thought that was really interesting because I just wonder how many people just think they can't do something, but it's because their brain isn't letting them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because girls, you know, we talk about this in the field that girls often go undiagnosed because mm-hmm. they're not disruptive. They're not the ones that are like throwing the paper airplanes or the spitballs, you know, (laughs) they're like staring out the window and daydreaming. And I think a lot of adults are getting diagnosed now because their kids are. And then as they go through that process, they're like, huh, you know what? That kind of rings a bell. That kind of hits home for me. I have a friend that actually an old neighbor who's a physical therapist and her daughter, who is a couple of years older than my son. So she's probably in eighth grade. The daughter daughter was just diagnosed mom going through that process was like you know what i kind of wonder if this describes me too and it was diagnosed at you know i don't know 48 47 wow. years old and um yeah she's like oh my goodness it, it was a relief for her she thought oh i always thought i just wasn't trying hard enough or this mm-hmm. and that and the other thing you know we just our generation like there wasn't as much awareness when we were kids and you know we're girls we're like you know trying to follow the rules and please everybody. And so, yeah, we, we fly under the radar with our inattention a lot. How do you see the challenges of kind of bringing your business into the equestrian industry and something that has nothing to do with horses (laughs) into this industry? Yeah, well, that is kind of the challenge. Um, I think there are a lot of families out there who are looking for kind of education platforms and some some education materials for their kid, but they're it's it's important to them. But there's so many other things on their minds, mm-hmm. maybe more specific to actually being in the show ring. And I think one of the challenges is that not all education um, platforms and products and people they're not all the same. Um, and they're not all as um, good of a fit for every student, right? So I think we're living in this world with this amazing array of choices as far as education for our kids, a lot of which be, are, are online. But I see this, honestly, with the tutoring business, kind of just local, you know, Huntington and some of the other tutoring centers in the area. They do a, a, a great service and they're not specialized. So that a child going to a kind of a chain tutoring company, you have two different kids with kind of two different brain profiles, they're not going to get the same benefit, right? Mm-hmm. So just because you plug your kid, you know, you give them headphones and you sit them down on this platform, it's not automatically on a roll and different different kids kind of need different things. Um, and so I guess kind of making that differentiation that like, oh, great. So you did find an online math program for your child that is, you know, technically homeschooled because they're, they're competing, they're on the show circuit, but that doesn't mean that's the best option for them. And that doesn't mean it's the best fit. So I think kind of, um, again, seeing the shades of gray and, and being one of those, you know, and I think everybody, we all have our guard up sometimes for when we're like, you know, oh, really, your, your product is tailor made for me, you know, so I think it's just kind of like, well, here's, what's different. And here's how you know if your child needs something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So cool. differentiation, which I guess, you know, is probably a, for a product or service, you know, a, maybe a universal struggle for all entrepreneurs. Right. What makes what makes your offering different? You know? Yeah. Why is it better than the others? Yeah. Yeah. How do you plan to grow it? 
You know, at the moment, um, I don't really have necessarily like a, um, a particular business plan. It's It's been organic and I'm going to kind of continue to let that happen mm-hmm. and kind of see where it goes. Um, and I think we're also just kind of getting back out there in person in the world. So I, I can't wait for the next Equestrian Business Women's, uh, mm-hmm. business Women's Summit. So getting back to the face-to-face and, and talking to people, talking to people via Zoom and um, via phone calls is, you know, it's fine and it's great. And we've kind of had to make do with it the past few years, but conferences are, are starting back up again and in-person mm-hmm. gatherings are starting back up again. So I think word of mouth and organically, um, and that's really the best probably way to grow any business, right? I know mm-hmm. um, I also have a real estate license and we talk about if you're just going to send uh, postcards or mailers or flyer, put your name on a bus bench or whatever, people have to see your name, I think it's seven times yeah. for it to really stick in their mind. But if it's a friend who says, oh, you need a you need a map tutor, I use this person, it just takes once. Right. You know? So the organic word of mouth is really kind of the best way. So um, I wish I could tell you I had some like, you know, multi-pronged marketing approach, you know, <laughs> uh, planned out. But um, yeah, it's really just been organic. And that's been wonderful too, because there are better personal connections and better relationships. And um, honestly, I think better work comes out of it um, when it's a family that, you know, it's one degree of separation from from me or from someone I know. Yeah. And are you a one-woman show right now then? I am. Yep. Do you anticipate growing it to have more people or are you going to try and keep it just within your realm? I plan to keep it just within me. Um, I've definitely had families that have reached out and um, there are other platforms or other products or other people that I think are a better fit. So I think because I've kind of got this niche um, specifically with, with kids who are neuroatypical, I don't, it would be hard. There are definitely people that kind of do what I do as far as teaching in the classroom and, and have training as a learning disability specialist, but kind of managing and being the hub for the, the online programs and the, be the liaison between the student and their, their school when they're traveling uh, is there's a lot of components to it. I'm sure there are plenty of other people that could do it. I just, I haven't really met any uh, like-minded, um, you know, fellow teacher to their learning specialist yet. So I'm certainly open to it, which does limit the scale, you know, but I also don't want to necessarily create my own platform or anything like that, because I don't, I think then you lose the individuation and the kind mm-hmm. of tailor-made education, which is kind of the, the, the point of the whole thing. Right. And you mentioned before that um, you were a realtor as well. How has getting out of your regular profession of teaching helped you in your career? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, it helped me immensely and I still, um, I still have my real estate license and I still, uh, you know, do some work kind of at a, a lull in the housing market right now. We're in a, I think a 17 year low housing inventory, uh, but definitely still work with friends, family and, uh, you know, referrals from past clients. So have my foot in that as well. I love it. Um, it's problem solving and it's mm-hmm. customer service and, and going, above and beyond. I really have learned so much in that industry, a lot of diplomacy and negotiation. Um, (laughs) But it's been interesting because when I stepped out of education, especially being a special education teacher, 
um, which is what I was at Chicago Public School, everyone thinks you're a saint. They think you're the next Mother Teresa. And they say, oh, you're a special education teacher. Oh, in an urban school. And and then you go into real estate or anything sales and they're like, oh my gosh, devil, get away. You know, so I'm a salesperson. <laughs> so it's very interesting to um, for me to see like, I guess how how I was treated <laughs> based on whatever kind of little, whatever my business card said, you know, um, and thinking, well, I'm still the same person. You thought I was a saint, you know, six months ago, and now you right. don't want to talk to me. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think there's a parallel in that. So often the students and the children I work with have a struggle and parents are anxious and people are very anxious during real estate transactions as well. So having the ability to kind of um, bring everybody down Mm. use logic. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, kind of defensiveness in both. So they definitely complemented each other. And a lot of skills I've learned teaching and working with parents and working with students, advocating for them has translated to real estate. But then real estate, I've learned about business and um, and marketing and, um, you know, your ideal customer and things that I never would have learned being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just a really great, um, you know, I, I tell people like they're days where I wish I could go back to school, I would have gotten a degree in business because I think it's really interesting. And uh, so I kind of got my unofficial, you know, my business education in real estate. And thank Mm -hmm. goodness, because it definitely translates over um, to a lot of other things, but to my my side business as well. Cool. And let's take it a step further. And so how have horses and riding helped you in your professional life? Oh, my goodness. Um, (laughs) It's kept me sane. You just learn when you grow up in it, you learn this work ethic and you learn how many things are out of your control. And it's never, uh, it's funny when I had my son, when he was a baby, I remember so many people say like, oh, it's, you know, you're going to take him home. You don't know what to do with them. But when you're working around animals, um, you do have this kind of intuition. I think Um, you can, you can interpret behavior. You can interpret language. You know, they are not talking to you, but you still know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And you're just, you have a perception and you also have a work ethic and you aren't afraid to get dirty and you know Mm -hmm. what long days are and, but it doesn't even occur to you to mind. So I think growing up in horses, you learn so many great life lessons that maybe a lot of people don't, aren't exposed to until farther down the road, maybe in their careers. So there's that layer. I played polo in college and we were this like total scrappy club team. We had no money. Um, we did have some nice horses just by a total stroke of luck. We didn't have a truck. We didn't have a trailer. We were always borrowing things. So, you know, we kids like did everything. We were the ones picking up the phone, making phone calls, asking for favors, asking for, for things. And, um, you know, those skills translate as well. And had I never done anything with horses, I wouldn't have known. I think I would have been forced at some point to pick up the phone and, and ask for things, but I wouldn't have had much experience at it. And I probably would have resented it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's a great um, first experience. Some of those struggles, you're exposed to them before their struggles. You actually willingly right. take on this, these um, tasks. And then when you do have to in like a different setting years later, it's it's not that big of a deal. So and then currently, I mean, I joke around that, you know, that board money for my horse, if I didn't have him, it would go to a therapist. It's walking out the door <laughs> no matter what. I'd rather have it go to my horse. So... <laughs> And it's amazing how frazzled I can be or discouraged or stressed or whatever. And I always come back from the barn in a great state of mind. So that's nice. 
that's not the story for me right now. <laughs> pretty much, they're causing me to go to therapy. Well, I've been there. I've been there. I have a really good. I'm telling you, I have an old polo pony. That is the reason life is easy. You know, <laughs> he played polo for 12 years. So what I ask him to do, he's like, sure, no problem. You know, because mm-hmm. I've had the squirrely young ones that like don't want to load in the trailer and you know do all that nonsense. So. Um, I've, I'm lucky. I've, I've got a good one right now, but mm-hmm. that's good. You know, we've talked to lots of people who said that horses, when you're a young person, just teach you more than almost anything else could. Uh, all of those life lessons, and um, I think, you know, your situation was having horses at home in you know a barn in your backyard and that's different than like what I had, which was, you know, I had a pony that boarded at a barn and didn't have to clean stalls every day. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I was a barn rat and I was there as much as I could be, but you would have. Yeah. Yeah. And it was different when, you know, it's different when your, your parents had horses and you had to be, and how many dogs did you have? Oh gosh. I mean, oh. I can't ever remember a time we had fewer than six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's messy. It's I mean, a lot it's of like work. So yeah. many yeah. animals and so much work. And I just think <laughs> that that makes kids different sometimes. Yeah. And I, it teaches you a lot. Yeah. And yeah. again, I think the control thing is the more I um mm. I don't know, live in this world and maybe part of its COVID has exacerbated people's desire for control. Um, and then you know, working with kids with challenges, parents are are anxious because things are out of their control and and real estate people think things are out of their control. And I think ultimately, um, I would say like 99% of the evils in the world are because somebody feels <laughs> like the world's out of control. Um, I think if you really dig down deep enough, that's like the underlying cause of so much angst in the world. And mm-hmm. when you work with big animals, they're not in your control. They're not, right. you know, mm-hmm. and, and yes, training and there's all these things you can do and we certainly can influence them. Um, but I think early on, you just kind of t- absorb the fact that, um, the world is not in your, you know, you can't push buttons in the world and have things go your way. And so Mm -hmm. that's such a great, you know, uh, you don't thrash up against life, the rest of your life, the way you would maybe if you'd never, you know, um, kind of internalize that, that lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that growing up on a farm shaped me in ways that I never even realized was happening, right? I was Mm -hmm. learning lessons and to think outside the box and be creative and problem solve from a very young age. Like, I mean, from the point of walking my pony up to the house and tying him to the front porch so that my mother could come out and help me put my bridle on because I couldn't get it myself. You know, (laughs) most kids don't even have to solve a problem like that. And, you know, he's like a 13 two hand pony and I'm like eight years old and you know, like, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of lessons that we've learned growing up around horses and independence and kind of having to struggle through things and, um, you know, suck at things (laughs) until you don't suck anymore. (laughs) I used to have to stick my knee in the stirrup in order to climb on. So I would like a knee in and then pull myself up. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good pony that stood still for that. Oh yeah. And I had a brother who he would climb the apple tree and that's how he'd get on his pony. Jump, jump down. Yeah. Yep. We'd park him under the apple tree. <laughs> my problem wasn't getting on my pony. It was getting off the ground and getting, you know, or my problem was 
falling off all oh, the time. <laughs> See, I kind of skipped that whole pony. I did have one little, little, I will we can't swear on this podcast, right? Um, I did have one little devil of a pony, but it, I didn't do a whole lot. By the time I got really more interested in riding, I think I was 11 or 12. So I got to go right to horses. Thank goodness. Cause ponies, you guys, ponies yeah. are more people going to therapists about bad pony memories probably than anything. So I have two ponies right now. Yeah. That's better you than me. Get- so we've we've talked to a lot of different women lately about how they've left riding and then they've come back to it later in life after they've sort of had their career and everything. Um, so you've decided to come back to the horses again. And what does it mean to you to be back riding? Uh, you know, it's, it's like a totally different experience. I think than when I, well, I've, there's, I've lived kind of a couple different horse lives, I guess. So um, as a kid, as a junior, Um, just, I was so focused on, I guess, like wanting to be good and, Mm -hmm. um, wanting to be a good equitation rider and, you know, having a, there were handful of riders that I really looked up to and wanting to be like them. And I was so frustrated that I wasn't there yet. And I was, I was very hard on myself and I was in my own head a lot and, you know, and showing and, and it was all great. And I don't regret any of it. I went to college and kind of accidentally uh, found myself on the polo team. Um, I started going out there actually just to, to exercise horses because I was missing horses and my teammates were like, Oh, you're going to want to pick up a mallet. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not into that crazy stuff that you guys do. And uh, sure enough, I picked up a mallet one day and, uh, you know, really loved that. And I loved the people and I still do. I think polo people are super fun and just really uh, down to earth and, and fun to be around. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of had to live in the adult world for a while and focus on work and all kinds of other things and didn't ride. Um, and then when I lived in the city, when I lived in Chicago, it was just logistically challenging to get out to a barn. Uh, it wasn't until after I had my son, actually. And I think, you know, when you have a child, it's it um, changes your world in so many ways. And my son, who's wonderful, was not an easy baby. And I didn't have any family around. And I think I just kind of needed to get back to like my roots and something that grounded me and something that by that time I felt pretty competent doing, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the next uh, Grand Prix, uh, you know, Olympic rider by any means, but um, enough years had gone by that I felt, you know, fairly competent in in the saddle. And I, yeah, I think I just needed to feel kind of like I was back to my roots and doing something that was familiar um, and that I felt competent doing because, you know, life was different and, and challenging and uh, ever changing. And I knew I didn't want to show. Um, I do like jumping, but I knew I didn't want to show. And, you know, I'm not going to own a whole string of horses. So that rules out polo. And so I thought, well, let me get into fox hunting. I'll still get to jump, but I don't have to worry about, you know, my equitation or things like that. And, you know, fox hunting people for the most part are uh, like polo people, just fun. And then there's a lot of food and there's a lot of wine afterwards. So (laughs) horses and food and wine, I like all these things. And so that's kind of how I I ended up being, you know, kind of getting more into into fox hunting. And then um, I just, I'm really lucky. I found this wonderful horse. I think he's my once in a lifetime horse. He's just, uh, we get each other. He's never let me down. He's never disappointed me. You know, he's just, we have a really good relationship and, and he would do anything. We take some dressage lessons. He started over fences. He fox hunts. He plays polo. He'll do whatever. He'll, my son takes like little walk trot lessons on him. He's just a really good soul. So 
uh, you know, for now, for me, um, it is, it's kind of church, you know, being out there at the barn and being out there in the hunt field too. Um, you know, sometimes we go out in the early morning and it's just stunningly beautiful. And, um, it just is, you're kind of transported almost into this Alice in Wonderland, you know, kind of, you know, we, we ride through these orchards and we ride through hay fields and we ride through forests and, um, it just, you know, gets me out of my own head. So really that's probably, um, between the relationship with my horse and then, you know, some great people getting out of my own head and then, you know, food and wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. so I hesitate to, to tell this story because I don't want people to think that I don't like fox hunting, but when I was a child, my mother forced me to fox hunt often. And uh-huh. I often ended up in her or my father having to ride my pony back to the trailer because he was naughty. And there was one occasion where my best friend and I were riding and they had to take both of the ponies back to the trailer. <laughs> uh-huh. And I there were all these rules and I'm I'm I follow rules. I'm not a rule breaker. So when they were like, you can't pass this person and you can't pass that. And so I decided to hilltop one day and my mother <laughs> yelled at me for hilltopping because I was, you know, not in the pack and jumping. And so I really never did it again. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) And it was like traumatic. And so I always associated it with that. But I have a friend who fox hunts. And a couple of years ago, they asked me to go roading with them. Uh And (laughs) it was pouring rain. Oh, and we had to leave at like five o'clock in the morning to uh. get there. And you're like, this is even more reasons why I don't like it. <laughs> and we are going through like this thicket, and I'm getting caught on all of these prickers. scratches. And yeah, yeah. And I was like, why did I do this? Why? Yeah, I hated like, it round one. Why did I decide to give it another I, shot? Yeah, like I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do it. And my mother was like, why did you go? Like, you don't really like it. And I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, I thought that was a different experience, but I think I have to say that it's really not for me. I haven't had a yeah. good experience doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I kind of lucked out in that um, I started with a hunt that was really laid back about the rules because, yeah, oh. some of them get like just nutty. Like you have to have three buttons on your coat, not four and all this stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I, I'm the hunt I started with was like, be safe. Don't be a jerk. We're good. You know? And awesome. then I don't, I don't, if it's raining, if it's nasty out, if it's too cold, I don't go out. Some people do. They're much more hardcore than me. I think it depends on where you are in the footing and stuff like that. But yeah, if it's nasty out, if I have to make myself go do it, I'm not going to do it. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I could see it not being, I've been out there <laughs> with, you know, people that it was their first time out and they could ride and they, came back screaming so and part of the <laughs> too, you know i mean there it's yeah it's you have to have the right horse you and have feel to have safe right on horse. it yeah yeah you know because even they all get jazzed up out there and they when they get rolling um even if you have a horse with good brakes they're running with their with their friends and mm-hmm. you know you have to have a ton of trust and if you're on the wrong horse you, yeah you'll you'll be like, hell no, I'm never doing that again. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I went with my friend whose mom is, and she's 82 this year. She's mm-hmm. it her whole life and she still uh-huh. does it. And she still packs up twice a week by herself. She goes out on Wednesdays with wow. um, other people. And I, and I went to ride. She has a mare and who has a buddy and they didn't have a buddy to ride the buddy. So they asked me to ride the buddy. So I was like, Oh yeah, this will be fine. And, and he was fine. And that was the fine part. But when it was pouring and we're getting like caught on trees and stuff, I was like, "Mm, 
maybe. No, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's um, people talk about going uh, hunting in like Ireland because that's like the, you know, the the most hardcore authentic and they jump like barbed wire and stuff oh. like that. And I'm like, oh, hell no, no. And like, like there's like five foot hedges. Yeah. yeah. And then the drop into a ditch. It's like yeah. venting, but maybe even gnarlier. And yeah. yeah. No, thanks. Never. Not me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Too old for that nonsense. Right. And we have the the self-preservation and self-awareness to know that, luckily. Yeah. 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 I'm there for the food and wine and the company. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good uh life affirmation. I'm here yeah, for the food yeah. and the wine and the company. <laughs> the company, yep. Yep. We want to say thank you so much for talking with us today. It was really cool to learn more about what you do and you know the different paths that life has led you down and at the end of each episode we ask guests the same four <laughs> questions uh and connor usually starts with the first all right what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives okay don't laugh at me this might sound silly coincidentally i have it right here um i would say hydrating <laughs> drinking when i drink i got my big old water bottle when I am really good about drinking my gallon of water a day. Oh my God, it's huge. It is, I wish. right? It's a gallon. Like a you have to send us a picture to put on social media. I will. <laughs> I drink one of these every day. I sleep really well. I'm just, I function better. I'm in a better mood. I don't like, I swear water is like the new, I don't know, um, Advil or miracle, miracle drug. It's, um, Yeah. <laughs> You y'all laugh at me. Take a week, drink a gallon of water every day for a week, and tell me your life has not changed. So I would love to do that, except I drive around for a living. Do you know how hard it is to find? Yeah, that would be tough. You have to plan out your route, and it's not always pleasant to. Yeah, that's true. Stop every ten minutes. (laughs) All right. Well, let me think on that. I'll try to find some when you're home for a week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There you go. Um, okay. So number two, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Oh gosh. Um, well, I don't know if it necessarily keeps me motivated, but keeps me focused. Um, Mm -hmm. meditating if I'm really good about, even if it's 10, 15 minutes a day, um, it's like this easy thing to not do. It's easy thing to skip, but it's also a kind of easy thing to make myself sit down usually 10 minutes a day. Um, when I do that, I, function better. I stay focused. I get things done. I don't stress. Um, and, and I come up with better ideas. I think my creativity is much better. Um, Mm. if I kind of plug into that habit. When did you start doing that? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I would say origins are probably like 15 years ago. Um, Mm. it's definitely been a roller coaster. I've had months where I'm not very good about doing it. And then months where I remember that it's really vital and, uh, Oh, vital is a strong word, but very important. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll kind of plug back in. So off and on for 15 years, I would say. Hmm. I just listened to a podcast recently and they were talking about that, about meditating and um, how it helps with focus and like being a like your awareness. And yes, then, mindfulness. And the, yes. And that's what helps you uh, focus a lot. So I, I think that. Yeah. Something to it. I agree. Is it something that you do at the same time every day? If I'm in kind of a little chapter of my life where my schedule is somewhat um, consistent, yeah. And if not, then I'll try to um, 
kind of fit it in wherever I can. I'm not one of the early morning meditators. A lot of people are like, oh, I, I have to do it first thing in the morning. I wake up pretty de-stressed and I wake up with kind of some ideas or like some, you know, uh, things I need to get done when I'm, I, th- I think I'm most clear when I wake up in the morning, not like right away, you know, got to get a little coffee and stuff, but then <laughs> I kind of get into a good rhythm. So for me, like after lunch is a good, cause that's when maybe the day I start to like get a little stressed or a little kind of chasing squirrels and things like that. So, um, it's grounding and it helps me kind of like, you know, take a step back and, you know, slow myself down. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your favorite horse movie? Oh, you know what? This is terrible. I don't see a ton of horse movies, usually because they're sad. Mm. <laughs> like I've never seen War Horse. There's so many m- movies that I um, haven't seen. Um, and I did see Seabiscuit, but I read the book. The book is always better. Um, so I don't think I have much of an answer on this one, but I have a favorite horse book. Um, okay. it's called the perfect horse, um, by Elizabeth Letts. And it's about the, um, the Polish Arabians and the Lipizzaners, uh, during, um, world war two and, and oh. the Germans and the Russians. And it's all based on, um, you know, true stories and, and facts of, um, you know, the Germans had this plan to breed a perfect horse. Um, and they, um, really took, always took a lot of pride in their equestrian, um, you know, equestrian sports. And breeding horses and then how they kind of basically um, all the other plans they had for kind of a master race and to rule the world. They there are parallels to what they aspired to do with horses, um, which is really interesting. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'll have to look for that one. And our last question is, who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? You know who I think uh, would be great. There's a very good polo player and a good horsewoman. She started a polo school through Oak Brook. Jenna Davis would be a fantastic guest. Uh, she and um, her significant other, uh, Turner Wheaton, uh, started a polo school out of Oak Brook. Actually, the old, uh, Jen, you probably remember this facility, um, is the old um, uh, Fox Meadow. Oh, yeah. Fox Meadow Farm in Bolingbrook. Yeah. So yeah. it's now um, the McMurtry's own it. Um, and um, it's more of a hunter jumper barn, but they started the Polo School, Oakbrook Polo Academy, out of that facility. And they've been there for a year. So it's kind of like their second summer, second fall, and um, have a great, gosh, I think they have a string of 30 horses. They have everything from kind of beginner lessons for kids, for adults. Um, to um, Margarita League and, and um, practice chuckers, and they've brought so many people uh, along and learning the game. Uh, you know, because I think a lot in the Chicago area, a lot of the kind of founding fathers of polo are getting older and they're retiring and they're getting out of the game. And it's kind of like, well, who's the next generation that is going to be taking the reins, especially in this area? And uh, you know, Jenna and Turner recognized a hole and an opportunity to really bring younger players along and introduce people to the game and, and generate interest. And they've done a great job and they're um, organized and fantastic to work with. And they have a lot of fantastic horses and um, just have run a, a really you know great little business that's awesome. grown like crazy. Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was great to catch up and you know, be able to share your story with everyone. Great. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate your time and uh, have a great rest of your week. So I always think it's interesting to have people who 
maybe don't work directly in the horse industry as well because they just bring a different viewpoint. Um, and, you know, like she said, this business is kind of a side gig for her right now. And, um, but she's learning how to kind of adapt it to the horse industry and serving people in the horse industry, um, which I think is an interesting concept uh, for people who have business ideas, but, you know, I think it could work for horse people too. Yeah. I think it kind of proves that, you know, you can kind of take the dive, right? Just kind of do it and put it out there and see if it will work and if it will stick. I mean, a lot of ideas can transfer over from, Mm -hmm. you know, another business idea. I mean, I think it's like a great idea and it totally fits in, especially in this day and age uh, where we have after, you know, COVID gone more virtual and Mm -hmm. been able to do the distance learning. And so having an advocate to make sure that you're getting the education and getting things done, I think it's like a really great idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She had some great little nuggets in there that I think apply, you know, to anyone. Um, So it's really cool to hear her story. And again, like I've known her for over 30 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. It's always nice when we have people that we know and mm-hmm. we're comfortable with uh, because it makes the conversation so much more fun and I think very real too because we relate to them. Yeah, totally. And we're able to remember things like I remember when she was playing polo in college and um you know, when she talked about how they had to do everything themselves. And I was like, Ooh, we don't have to do anything like that on our <laughs> equestrian teams. Right. You know, I feel so lucky that because we know plenty of people who rode on teams that were not at the varsity level. And there was so much more involved in being able to ride and afford it and compete at, at the collegiate level. Yeah. I actually, was talking to somebody recently and we were kind of talking about IEA and IHSA and you know IEA's doing like an adult part to it now and they were asking my opinion about it and I was like you know I'm not sure if I would do it for myself I think it's good for a lot of other people but I mean I was so spoiled almost in college <laughs> with the way that we got to be on a varsity team and you know, it didn't really cost us money to do it. And for me, uh, that luck of the draw thing, as you know, we, Mm. we had, we did a little bit in school, but I just, um, I was like, I think it's an interesting idea. And I think it does open up more for IEA. But I think like for me personally, that's not something that I would do because Mm. a college was just, um, it was a different experience than most mm-hmm. IHSA teams. We weren't out there fundraising and yeah, exactly um, doing that kind of stuff. So I loved um, when she talked about the parallels between uh, like working with students and parents and working with her realty clients. <laughs> yeah. Because remember when we talked to the realtors like Martha Jolicoeur, um, and she was saying like she feels like a psychiatrist half the time of dealing with people and Heather kind of, you know, it was, it was a similar thought of 
of being able to, you know, ease anxiety. And I think that applies to so many different kinds of business people. Like if you have clients and you're you're directly dealing with clients or if you have a company and you have customer service, like that's what it's all about is, you know, finding those solutions to make people happy. And um, I think that applies no matter what kind of business you have. But I thought that was funny that it, she yeah. felt the same way yeah. about both <laughs> jobs. Yeah. And then with the horses, like learning from them and, you know, like they can't tell you. So it is similar to working with kids and, you know, kind of having to figure out your way without, um, you know, at least kids can talk, but yeah. you, you learn something in communications, right? With mm. being around the horses and that kind of ties it all in together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, hard to believe we've done 30 episodes now. I know. <laughs> like, where has the time gone? I know. That's a, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. It's been so much fun. And yeah, I can't wait to do 30 more. I know. Keep I'm talking to people. And I just, I look forward to these days when we record and we get to talk to people for fun and share yeah. it with others. Share it. Yeah. And I think sharing it with others is is awesome. Yeah. Find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go drink some water. <laughs>